Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, Minsure open enrollment, a new Prince memoir hits the shelves, and PJ Flex switches gear and tries to protect the net for the Golden Gophers hockey team. But first, more scathing criticism of the State Human Services Department this week, an official vote in the U.S. House on an impeachment inquiry against President Trump, and the presidential campaign again on the Minnesota stage. MNN's Bill Werner joins us with the report. Scott, let's start off with Legislative Auditor James Noble's report about $29 million in overpayments that the Minnesota Department of Human Services made to two Native American tribes for their opioid addiction treatment programs. Nobles told lawmakers this week, This decision goes back a number of years, and it's been going on for a number of years. But the department has no documentation of who made the decision. We do know who instructed the tribes. But when we ask people in the department, but who made the decision, not just who communicated the information, they said, we don't know. And then when we interviewed a half a dozen people from the department, under oath, we asked repeatedly, who made the decision? And again, they said, we don't know, and no one took responsibility. Commissioner Jody Harpstead took on the task of cleaning up what appear to be widespread problems when she took the helm of the Human Services Department two months ago. Republican Senator Michelle Benson from Ham Lake said to Harpstead, Your internal auditors don't appear to have taken internal control seriously. So I would say your internal auditors need to prioritize internal controls training for anybody with supervisor, manager, deputy, commissioner in their title. Democratic Senator Chris Eaton from Brooklyn Center asked Legislative Auditor Nobles, Is there any investigation into fraud for employees or former employees of the tribes? Nobles responded he does not have jurisdiction in the case of sovereign nations. He says the tribes did not respond to his request, but he did meet with federal officials who have the option of investigating. I do not know and am not saying that there is a federal fraud investigation relative to the tribes. All I'm telling you is that we don't have that jurisdiction. Federal authorities would. White Earth Compliance Officer Danielle Stevens told lawmakers, There was cooperation, and we were looking forward to the audit. Now on to presidential politics. Minnesota 7th District Congressman Colin Peterson one of only two Democrats who voted no when the U.S. House this week approved a resolution setting procedures for the next phase of the impeachment inquiry. Hamlin University analyst David Schultz says... No surprise there. He's going to be in a very tough race um, against Michelle Fischbach, former um, lieutenant governor, uh, president of the Senate. Um, and it's also a very conservative congressional district. In fact, it's the most strongly Republican-leaning um, district in the state. Um, I think he needed to do that for his own political survival. Peterson, in a statement, called the impeachment process hopelessly partisan and said, without support from Senate Republicans, going down this path is a mistake. He says he's skeptical that the process will be open, transparent, and fair, and adds, quote, I will not make a decision on impeachment until all the facts have been presented. Beyond Peterson's vote breaking ranks, Schultz says about the U.S. House vote this week in general. Legally, it's not that important, but politically it's important. What I mean by legally is that the House of Representatives did not need to actually do this formal vote um, because, because 
They have broad powers under the Constitution to conduct impeachment inquiries any way they want to. But where politically it's significant is in a couple of ways. First, one of the arguments that the Trump administration has given for not cooperating with subpoenas and so forth is to say it's not an official impeachment inquiry. This takes that argument away. Second, this official impeachment inquiry addresses the transparency concern that was out there um, in terms of Republicans saying, well, it's not a transparent process. And then finally, I'm going to say is that it's significant. Why? Because now we have Donald Trump being the fourth president in American history to face um, something looking like an official impeachment inquiry that puts him in a uh, not so um, good class of people. The president has said and his and his uh, top people have said, yeah, we don't have an official inquiry here. Therefore, we're not going to cooperate. Now they, they have an official inquiry uh, backed up by a vote in the U.S. House of Representatives, albeit a partisan vote. But despite that, does, does it change anything? Do they cooperate? Operate, or do they find another excuse not to cooperate? They will find another excuse, but it undercuts, I think, at this point, more of a tactical strategy that they've been able to use. But the Trump administration will probably either argue, well, it's a straight partisan vote or nearly partisan vote, um, and therefore it should be discounted, or still come up with other arguments, whether it be executive privilege or something else to refuse to cooperate. Minnesota Republican Party Chair Jennifer Carnahan said about the vote, quote, Democrats made it clear since day one that they will do anything it takes to get President Trump out of office, even if that means invalidating the will of the American voters, unquote. And more presidential politics this weekend, as Senator Bernie Sanders and Congresswoman Ilhan Omar join forces for a Sunday evening rally at the U of M's Minneapolis campus. Omar endorsed liberal Democrat Sanders over fellow Minnesotan moderate Senator Amy Klobuchar. And Omar, of course, has been locked in a continuing war of words, Twitter and otherwise, with President Donald Trump. We asked Hamlin analyst David Schultz, does this rally and Ilhan Omar's endorsement, the rally is obviously going to put it on the front pages of newspapers. Uh, Does that help Bernie Sanders, given that he's struggling against Elizabeth Warren? Is it enough to move the needle nationally I'm talking about now? Okay, nationally it's not clear, but what this might help with a little bit is both Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders have struggled with I'm getting support from people of color and from, let's say, the um, communities representing, you know, minorities. This might help um, in terms of that. And also, given the fact that both Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders are competing for the progressive wing of the party, and given that Ilhan Omar is, let us say, one of the favorites of the new progressive wing, this will not hurt him and, in fact, probably will help him um, in some ways. How much, of course, in terms of moving that proverbial needle, not clear, but it's certainly a big plus for him. That is Hamlin University political analyst David Schultz. Scott? Thank you, Bill. Tasha Radel's up next with the latest on Minsher open enrollment when Minnesota Matters returns. Unexpected reactions to smart financial decisions brought to you by FeedThePig.org. Well, I finally did it. I opened a 401k. So you're giving up. Just like that. Giving up on what? I'm getting an inheritance from a distant relative. Don't you think if there were a billionaire in the family, we'd know about it by now? Listen to me. We are one phone call away from riding horses on our own private polo grounds. One call from christening yachts, having a butler, using summer as a verb. How do you figure? Look, everyone's got a rich uncle somewhere. It's statistics. So the best thing you can do is just prepare for the inevitable. 
Right, which is why I thought maybe it would be smart to take control of my finances. You know, start using a budget, get out of debt, set some retirement goals. Budgets? Debt? You watch your mouth. Retirement shouldn't be a goal for us. It should be a way of life. When it comes to financial stability, don't get left behind. Get tools and tips for saving at feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Minsure's open enrollment period is underway. MN's Tasha Radel has more. That's right, Scott. The open enrollment is already here, and it's hard to believe. And joining me to talk about it is Minsure CEO Nate Clark. How are you doing today, Nate? I'm doing great. Thank you. I cannot believe we're already in November and open enrollment is here. Uh, can you tell us a little bit um, for folks about Minsure and open enrollment? Yeah, absolutely. So open enrollment is the period when Minnesotans who don't get their insurance through their through their employer or they don't per, or they don't receive it, you know, in a public program. This is the place. Minsure is the place where they can come to enroll in coverage, and the enrollment period is the time frame for doing that. And this year, open enrollment runs from November the first until December the twenty third. And when we talk about open enrollment, this is a good time for folks not only looking to obtain new coverage for 2020, but also a good reminder for folks to check back in uh, to look for changes. Can you give us some recommendations there? Sure, and that's actually a great point. Thanks for pointing that out. Uh, anybody who's insured on the exchange now will have received notices that that tell them about their eligibility for the next enrollment year, and also it gives them some information about um, a plan they were auto-enrolled into. Every year we have a process where any consumer who was enrolled is automatically re-enrolled into the same or a similar plan. And so in many cases, consumers can just uh, keep the insurance payments to their carriers going and they don't have to worry about open enrollment at all. But, you know, every year things change, plans change, um, there are sometimes network changes, and so we always encourage consumers, even if they're currently enrolled, come in, um, log into their accounts on the exchange, uh, they can do searches, they can find out what options are available to them, and this is a good time for them just to confirm that they have the right coverage for them and for their families. And, you know, another good thing I want to point out to folks is that this is the one place where you can actually get tax credits that can go towards your premium. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. So Minsure is the only place where Minnesotans can access federal tax credits. And these are credits that help pay for their monthly insurance costs. And, you know, it's so important. This year, households are receiving credits that average more than $5,500 per year. And we just always remind people that's real money. It helps offset the monthly cost of premiums. And consumers should not leave that on the table. You know, one thing that we have noticed in talking to many folks, Tasha, is simply that people believe that they are not eligible for some kind of tax credit. And in many cases, nothing could be further from the truth. You know, if you are a single person and you're earning about $50,000 or less, you could be eligible for a tax credit. If you're a family of four and you're earning less than $103,000 a year, then you could be eligible for tax credit. So we just always tell folks, don't assume you earn term much, come to the exchange, do an application. It doesn't take a lot of time. Just make certain you're not leaving any money on the table. And you know, another thing, I know that this can be an overwhelming process for a lot of people, but I know you folks have a call center and a sisters ready to help Minnesotans. 
investment. That's true. And, and you know, we, as you've said, we know that understanding insurance and health plans can really be complicated. And that's the reason we have a statewide network of certified assisters who are here to help. And, you know, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but we're talking about uh, this enrollment period is a little bit uh, shorter. So let's talk about if folks don't enroll by the deadline, can you tell us, like, what, what does that exactly mean? Sure. So I'll take a couple of things first. It is two weeks shorter than it has been in prior years, and that's intentional, Tasha, because what we wanted to do is make certain that everybody who comes through the exchange has a January 1 coverage start date. It's really important that consumers have 12 months of coverage, and so we want to make certain that uh, everybody who enrolls gets in, gets coverage that's going to start at the first of the year. Um, now, even though it's a couple weeks shorter, we still believe that there's plenty of time for consumers to get in and to complete that enrollment. And one of the things I always like to remind folks is if, in fact, they are going to work with an assister, boy, get, get on that person's calendar now. They've got seven weeks to schedule an appointment, and they can get this taken care of and then, you know, not worry about it any longer. Now, the open enrollment period does terminate on the 23rd of December. And so if you haven't enrolled by midnight, then you won't be eligible to enroll for 2020 coverage unless you have some kind of a qualifying life event. All right. And before I let you go, any, uh, any advice for our listeners today? Simply that folks should not put it off. I mean, we opened the doors at 7 a.m. Um, next, we're going, to ha- we're going to have extended hours throughout the entire open enrollment period. So we'll be open until late on Thursdays, and then we're also open on Saturdays. We'll do everything we can to make certain folks have the chance to enroll in coverage for 2020. Again, for more information on open enrollment, you can head to Minsure.org. Thanks again to Nate Clark, CEO of Minsure. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters will re- Return after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. More than three years after Prince's death, a new memoir is out and shedding light on the man's life beyond the legend. It's called The Beautiful Ones, and editor Dan Pipenbring was selected by Prince to collaborate on the book. And before his death from a fentanyl overdose, Prince was able to supply handwritten pages, which served as the basis for the beginning of the book. I spoke with Pipe and Bring about this once-in-a-lifetime collaboration and how he was chosen to share Prince's one-of-a-kind story with the world. It was such an unlikely story. I was 29 at the time, uh, living in Brooklyn, where I still live now, and working for a literary magazine. And I'd never published a book, which uh, is usually fairly disqualifying for these sorts of opportunities. But uh, my literary agent told me that he was working with Prince on a book, and I I begged him for the chance to be on this list of potential collaborators. And he he obliged, but he, he made it clear that there was no chance that this job would go to me for the reasons I've just described, uh, among others. And as it turned out... uh, He was wrong. Um, Prince was looking for someone who had never written a book before. He wanted someone untested with, without hardened ideas about what a memoir should or could do. Uh, Someone almost radically open-minded, I guess. And and he, of course, always loved working with young people, uh, and he loved to kind of pluck talent from obscurity. So to uh, my great surprise and great fortune, he... He kept me on a short list of potential collaborators and had me write a personal statement about him, 
And I submitted that the same day it was requested of me. And 48 hours later, I was on my way to meet him at, at Paisley Park. And that was how it all started. You know, the the introduction, the opening pages of the book, it almost is, it's almost like a suspense thriller. And it, that was one of the things that, that I, I was so invested in as I was reading it. As a fan, uh, you kind of can put yourself in your shoes, which is this is an opportunity of a lifetime. How intimidating was it when you first met him? Oh, it was extremely intimidating. I, I was so nervous. I remember it was January in, in Minneapolis at the time, so quite cold, as you know. And, and even in the best of times, I have kind of poor circulation. And I remember being in the car with his driver and realizing that my hands were freezing. I just I couldn't warm them up to save my life. And I was kind of sitting on them trying to warm them up because I knew that I was soon going to have to shake his hand and that this would be a pivotal moment. I wanted to convey uh, complete comfort and authority and, uh, of course, I'll never know what his first impressions of me were, but from what I remember, uh, I was a mess. I was just so nervous and not at all in control of myself. Um, Prince can be very intimidating. He has uh, a kind of imperiousness about him. He can convey so much with his eyes, and he does seem to be kind of appraising you, uh, and he's very self-aware and very observant. Fortunately, he was also extremely generous and charitable and solicitous and, and clearly very accustomed to putting people at ease. I think he knew the effect he had uh, on anyone who came across him. And so when I met him that day at Paisley Park, uh, he took pains to, to make me feel at home there. He really welcomed me. And we ended up talking for 90 minutes in his conference room. I remember being struck by the silence of Paisley Park, by the degree to which it felt like a, a sanctuary, a very private place for him. And I realized that as much as I'd listened to him over the years, I'd almost always heard him framed by music or by the pageantry of his performances. So uh, his soft-spokenness really came through in, in the quiet of that room. And the more we talked, the, the more at ease I felt. It's been talked about quite a bit what a seemingly mysterious kind of person he was. So I'm curious, at any point in the process, did you have anxiety about him actually revealing himself in this process or maybe even changing his mind about opening himself up to the process? Oh, yes, absolutely. I, I think there was always a chance that he would change his mind. In fact, as part of the contract for the book with Random House, he had stipulated that he would be allowed to remove the book from shelves at any time in the future if he felt it no longer reflected who he was. So he was very aware of someone who very aware of himself as someone who changed his mind a lot uh, and who was always evolving and, and shifting his viewpoints on things. Uh, that was something he really liked about himself. So I did worry that, that maybe the collaboration would never come to its fruition or that he would be too reticent uh, when it came to certain facts or stories from his past. That was something that was always on my mind because his mystery was, forever intact. Uh, I, I think even if he had wanted to dispel it fully, which he didn't, um, he wouldn't have been able to. He was, It was too innate to him, you know? So I, I did worry, but fortunately what he wrote about in the pages that he did finish for the book uh, had such a, a candor and frankness to it that uh, I, I think my, my fears were misplaced in a lot of ways. 
I'm curious, what was the most surprising thing that you learned about Prince throughout the process of putting the book together? Hmm. I don't know if I can point to a single one. I know that he told me at one point that there would be a lot of bombshells in the book. Uh, he was very proud of that, that. It was said almost with a wink, like he describes his mother giving in his memoir pages. And of course, uh, because we didn't get too far into the book, I think those bombshells and any typical definition of the word are, are absent. But what to me function instead as bombshells are the quieter, more quotidian or ordinary moments of his boyhood. I think getting to read about his fantasy life as a boy uh, and experiencing his youth as a kind of coming-of-age novel almost uh, was really surprising to me, to, to hear him reflecting on his first kiss and his memories of his father and mother getting dressed up for a night on the town and, and how kind of hopeful and inspired he felt just watching them just prepare themselves. Uh, that was so moving to me. And then, of course, to see him retreat into his own mind as a boy and and to imagine living in underwater caves and things like that, uh, it, it just shed so much light on all the music that would come later in his life to see how he was thinking about himself and composing himself as a child. Prince, The Beautiful Ones is available everywhere books are sold. Thanks again to my guest, book editor and Prince collaborator, Dan Pipenbring. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Your surgery is over. Oh, it's over? What happened? Hi, Mr. Detweiler. Dr. Newman here. You have a new knee. It went great. You'll be up and around before you know it. And it's all because of you. Uh, what did I do? You were captain of Team Detweiler. You told us everything we needed to know. Your medical history, your allergies and prescription meds. You asked me tons of questions. What your options to surgery might be, what to expect during recovery. You even asked me how many knee replacements I've already done. Huh, I guess I did kind of run the whole operation, didn't I? Mr. Detweiler, we couldn't have done it without you. Patient safety. It takes a team. And patient involvement is key. A public service message from the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. With more tips at orthoinfo.org slash patient safety. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The Golden Gopher football team is riding high at 8-0 and ranked 13th in the country. Minnesota is off this weekend and will host 5th-ranked Penn State on November 9th. Taking advantage of some of the downtime was head coach P.J. Fleck, who spent an afternoon away from football in a unique way. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm has the story for Minnesota Matters. Knowing the football coach might have some rare free time with the bye week, the Gopher men's hockey coach Bob Motzko invited Fleck to spend an afternoon with his team on the ice. Fleck gave a motivational talk, then donned some goalie gear and tried to block a few shots. Motzko says... P.J. a pretty powerful speaker, and he has a message, and there's two things I took out of it, is don't be afraid to be young and run to the fire. He talked about last year with his team that they, there's got, there just became a point in the where they drew a line in the sand and said, no more, we're going to play. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, we're going to play. That's the part of maturity he talks about. I can't steal words for our team, but we, yeah, we're, we're a very young hockey team. Um, you can't help but, but notice that. We're going to have moments where our talent really shows. 
and we're going to have moments where our youth really shows. There's going to be a day that we cross, you know, we draw a line in the sand and we start to play a much stronger brand of hockey. Probably the person that has to, and I said this a couple of weeks ago, has to have the, is, I have to have a little patience sometimes, and I don't. They're trying their rear ends off, and we've got the right people in there to lead us into the next direction. Sometimes we just have to have a little patience. I say we, starting with me. So Fleck talked with the team. He said he was more than happy to do so. I want us to all hear from each other. You know, we're one Minnesota. You know, our football team's not more important than our hockey team. Our hockey team's not more important than our basketball team. You know, we're one Minnesota. And I want everybody to feed off that type of energy, not just from our football program, from, from all sports. Whether it's Lindsay's basketball team being ranked 17th in the country right now, whether it's our hockey team being really young and up and coming, whether it's Richard's team coming off the second round of the tournament, uh, you can go on and on about our sports. You know, I think Mark Coyle, our athletic director, has done a great job of putting our, our sports in a position to succeed, and uh, he's the visionary of the whole thing. So I'm just honored to coach here. In this particular situation, what was Fleck's message to the men's hockey team? It was really the similar what I, what I told our team last year. We, we talked about year two for us was race to maturity. And we were a very immature young team last year at the beginning of the year. But that young team that was the youngest in the country got better and they got more mature. And, and doing what you have to do becomes doing what you want to do. Right? And I also told them nobody has to be at Minnesota. Nobody has to be a Minnesota hockey, hockey player. It, it's, a, it's a privilege. It's not your right. It's a privilege. And it needs to be treated that way. Just like in football, we feel it's a privilege to be a golden gopher. It's not anybody's right. And once you start treating it that way and you start to understand maturity and what that means and doing what you want to do becomes doing what you have to do, that's when, that's when tides turn. And that's what happened to us at the end of the year last year. So once the message was delivered, Fleck got into goalie gear and jumped in net. And Matsko says that was a long time coming and everyone enjoyed it. The very first time I met him, uh, the first thing I was involved with, you know I can play goal. <laughs> and I, I just thought, you know, whatever. And then uh, he brought it up a few times. So, you know, at one point I said, okay, we're going we're gonna to find out. You can play goal. We found out. <laughs> he tries hard. My goodness, does he try hard. Good battler. You know, what PJ's doing with the football program and how great his leadership has been and, and how exciting it is. And with an off week, bring him over, have him talk to our guys and have a little fun. That's college athletics at its best right there. We can all enjoy it together. That's really what it was all about. I think he had more fun than anybody, but uh, uh, it was great. Our guys responded. I told him we had a, I go, guys, we've got a, a new goalie trying out, and they just went silent, and they saw him walking <laughs> through, the, through the tunnel, and then, then they erupted with some fun. Uh, he had a great message for our guys and for all of us. It was, uh, you get a moment like that with college sports, I think that's, that's what it's about. We all enjoyed it. Fleck says he enjoyed it as well, getting on the ice and getting in the gear. When they said goalie, it immediately brought me back to what I did before. And I, all I asked was, Heather asked, if she, she goes, first of all, I think you're absolutely insane. Second of all, if you do it, just make sure you have one of those, like, throat guards. That's all I asked. So uh, I can't say it's harder than it looks because all of you probably play hockey at some point in your life. I was never one to play hockey, so I didn't know what it was like. But to be able to change direction and move and be able to stop those pucks. And my question to them was, well, how do you stop the deflections? They said, you got to get big. I said, well, there's the problem. <laughs> I said, 5'8". Uh, uh, it's hard to make this frame big. Fleck says it was harder than he thought to play goalie, and Motsko said that was a little bit by design. I couldn't believe they're all going the upper corner. He's not a big guy, and I was, I was I worried he was going to take one in the neck and we were going <laughs> to knock him down. One of our guys put it right over the bar, and, and three went right under the bar. That's why I cut her short. <laughs> uh, they, were, they were showing no mercy. So that's a hockey player. You want to come out here?
It was good, though. All in all, Fleck enjoyed the day, too. I've always loved hockey, and uh, I think Motzko's doing something really special here. He's got a young team. The team reminds me of last year's football team, and we're the, one of the youngest in the country, and he just had to mature. And once this group matures, they're going to be scary. The Gopher men's hockey team begins Big Ten play this weekend, and this week it got a Fleckian shot of enthusiasm. Scott, back to you. Thank you, Mike. That sounds like great fun. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.